This is Naima Novetsky from alatorah.org. Today's TorahCast will focus on a topic that has been a source of heated debate between various sects within Judaism and assorted commentators from time immemorial. The dating of the bringing of the Omer offering and the meaning of the term Mimacharat HaShabbat, translated literally as the morrow of the Sabbath. In the midst of its discussions of the various holidays, Vayikra chapter 23 speaks of the Omer offering and the 49 days leading up to the bringing of the offering of the two loaves and the holiday of Shavuot. In recording the dates of these two offerings and the counting which links them, the Torah repeats the confounding term, Mimacharat Shabbat, the morrow of the Sabbath, three times. We are told that the Omer is to be brought, Mimacharat Shabbat, that the counting is to begin on that same day of Mimacharat Shabbat. And finally, that the offering of the two loaves is to be brought Mimacharat HaShabbat HaShvi'it on the morrow of the seventh Shabbat. What, though, does this phrase mean? To which Shabbat does the Torah refer? Does the phrase allude to a day previously mentioned as the definite article the Hei Hayidiyah might imply? If so, might it refer to the weekly Shabbat discussed at the beginning of the chapter? But then, which of the many Shabbats of the year would it be? Alternatively, Perhaps the phrase might refer to the immediately preceding holidays of Pesach and Chag HaMatzot. But if so, why use the ambiguous term Shabbat rather than, the, rather than the word Moed or the like? Finally, why doesn't the Torah simply give a specific lunar date for the Omer sacrifice? What is gained by referring to it as Mimoharat HaShabbat? Another question relates to the holiday of Shavuot, which arrives at the end of the seven-week countdown beginning with the Omer. Of all the festivals mentioned in our chapter, Shavuot is the only one which is not given a calendric date. Does this suggest that the countdown towards the holiday is solely utilitarian in nature, a practical way of ensuring that one knows when it falls? Why, though, does the Torah not simply give Shavuot a set lunar date as well? Commentators have struggled with our questions for centuries, and as mentioned earlier, our verses lie at the center of a polemical dispute between the various sects of Judaism. At its simplest level, the disagreement is an exegetical one, revolving around the questions we just raised, first and foremost, the meaning of the word Shabbat and its usage in our passage. But really, the controversy is much deeper than that, relating to a number of other issues, including the setup of the calendar, rules regarding the desecration of Shabbat, and the association of Shavuot with the revelation at Sinai. As such, before delving into each side of the debate regarding our verses, it pays to briefly discuss each of these polemical issues. One of the biggest disagreements between rabbinic Judaism and the sects which rejected the oral law relates to the calendar. The Torah does not provide rules as to how one should set up a calendar, and different sects chose different methods. According to the sages, the calendar is a combined lunar-solar one in which the festivals are anchored in the lunar months, but are also connected to the agricultural seasons. The Qumran, or Dead Sea sect, preferred a solar calendar of 364 days and 52 weeks. As this is divisible by seven, all monthly dates consistently fall out on the same day of the week. New months were not determined by the moon, but set to be 30 days each, which with every third month being 31. This difference in outlook has obvious ramifications for determining when holidays fall and this affects our discussion of the dating of the Omer and Shavuot as well. A second issue concerns the desecration of Shabbat. 
Rabbinic Judaism tends to be more lenient than other sects of Judaism in its understanding of which scenarios might allow for the violation of Shabbat prohibitions. For example, the sages allowed otherwise prohibited labor on Shabbat in order to save a life, while Karaites do not. With regards to our topic, while Rabbinic Judaism felt that reaping the barley harvest for the Omer offering or the bringing of certain festival sacrifices overrides the prohibitions of Shabbat, the sectarians were uncomfortable with what they perceived as Shabbat desecration and preferred to avoid such scenarios if at all possible. As such, given a choice, they would prefer that the day of the bringing of the Omer and the day of Shavuot never fall on a Shabbat, thereby avoiding the issue. A final issue which relates to our debate concerns the dating of the revelation at Sinai and its relationship to Shavuot. Though the date of revelation is not explicit in Torah, Chazal assumed that it took place on the 6th of Sivan. As such, the dating of the Omer, and hence of Shavuot, has important ramifications regarding whether or not one connects the holiday to this momentous event. With this as background, let's delve into the various understandings of the phrase Mimacharat Shabbat and how each position dates the Omer offering. The sectarian position, taken by both the Dead Sea sect at Qumran and the Karaites, maintains that the word Shabbat refers to Saturday, and they thus date the Omer sacrifice to the following day, to Sunday. The two groups, however, disagree regarding when the Shabbat falls out. Since the verses regarding the Omer follow the discussion of Chag HaMatzot, the Karaites assume that the Omer offering is brought on the Sunday that falls within Chag HaMatzot. This could be any day between the 15th of Nisan and the 21st. According to them, the calendrical date of Shavuot, being dependent on the Omer offering and coming 49 days after it, also changes from year to year, though it, is also, though it also always falls out on a Sunday. One of the big advantages of this approach is that it easily explains why neither the Omer nor Shavuot are given a fixed date. There is no set date for either, as they vary from year to year. This approach easily explains the logic behind the mitzvah of counting as well. It is a utilitarian measure to ensure that the otherwise undated holiday is celebrated at its proper time. One of the consequences of this flexible dating, though, is that it means that Shavuot need not fall out on any particular day, thus severing any historical connection between Shavuot and the revelation at Sinai. For the Karaites, Shavuot is purely an agricultural holiday, unconnected to any historical event. The Qumran sect agrees with the Karaites that Shabbat refers to a Saturday, but they maintain that the verse is referring to the first Shabbat after the Passover holiday. They assume that the verses which speak of the Omer offering chronologically follow those which precede them. As such, it is natural to assume that the Shabbat mentioned is the one which falls right after Chag HaMatzot and not within it. As mentioned earlier, the unique 364-day calendar of the Dead Sea sect which is evenly divisible by seven, means that the Omer offering was always brought not only on a set day of the week, but also on a set day of the month, the 26th of Nisan. As such, according to the Qumran calendar, Shavuot always falls on the 15th of Sivan. Interestingly, the Qumran sect believed that this was the date of Revelation. So like the sages, they draw a connection between Shavuot and Revelation, but simply said both on a different date. This set date, though, leaves open the question of why the Torah did not simply mention it, rather than utilizing the ambiguous phrasing of Mimacharat HaShabbat. 
One of the main advantages of both of the sectarian positions is that they are able to sustain the simple meaning of the word Shabbat as referring to the seventh day of the week, an understanding upheld in most places in which the word is used in Tanakh. Moreover, according to them, the word Shabbat can mean the same thing in all three of its occurrences in this part of the chapter. This understanding of the word, though, is simultaneously one of the position's disadvantages, because if the verse refers to the seventh day of the week, how did the Torah expect anyone to know from the verses to which Shabbat is referred? Proof of the lack of clarity, of course, is the fact that the sectarians themselves disagree on this point. A second disadvantage of this position is that the Torah's normal manner of marking time is to date events by either the lunar calendar or the agricultural season, rather than by the day of the week on which they fall. In addition, this approach must explain what is particularly significant about a Sunday that Hashem would decide that the Omer offering and thus Shavuot need to fall out on that day of the week specifically. It is possible that these sects did not think that there was really any inherent significance to the day of the week, but that it was chosen only to ensure that both the bringing of the Omer and Shavuot never fall on Shabbat as both might necessitate desecration of the day. Since the Omer necessitated reaping and festive peace offerings were brought on Shavuot, such potential desecration of Shabbat was averted by ensuring that the various offerings were always brought on a Sunday and not on Shabbat. As is well known, rabbinic interpretation sharply disagrees with the sectarians' reading of the verses, and it maintains that Shabbat in our verse does not refer to the seventh day of the week, but rather to the first day of Chag Kamatzot. As such, they set the 16th of Nisan as the fixed lunar date for the Omer sacrifice and date the holiday of Shavuot to the 6th of Sivan, connecting it to the assumed date of the revelation at Sinai. This, though, is not the simplest understanding of the word Shabbat, making us question both what motivates the sages to read the verses in this manner and how they reconcile their dating with the simple understanding of the word Shabbat. It's possible that the sages simply had an oral tradition from Sinai regarding the date of the offering and of Shavuot, leading to their explanation. But if the dating was given to human interpretation and determination, how might we understand their choice? From a textual perspective, they might be motivated by the questions we just raised. If Shabbat is a Saturday, how is one to know which Saturday? In addition, since throughout Tanakh events are related to monthly dates or agricultural seasons, rather than days of the week, they assumed that the phrase Mimacharat HaShabbat too must refer to a lunar date. Finally, they likely desired to connect Shavuot with their assumed date for Revelation, the 6th of Sivan, which neither of the sectarian readings allows for, leading to their, alter to their alternative dating. Regardless of the specific motivation though, how does this dating fit with the, simplest, with the simple sense of the text? Why does the Torah use the word Shabbat if it means Yom Tov? Ibn Ezra, a 12th century commentator, explains that really this is not unique. Many other holidays are also called a Shabbaton. As we see in our chapter itself, Rosh Hashanah, Yom HaKippurim, and Sukkot are all referred to in this manner. From these, one can, learn, one can learn that the word Shabbaton, and hence Shabbat, is not limited in meaning to a specific day of the week, but can refer to any Yom Tov. It is still not clear, though, why the Torah would choose this language rather than simply setting a date for the offering. The Karaites further question that according to this reading, there is an inconsistency in the verses, 
For while the initial appearance of the word Shabbat, Usfartem Lachemimacharat HaShabbat, means Yom Tov, in the later phrases, Sheva Shabbatot and Admi Macharat HaShabbat HaShvi'it, it means week. Ibn Ezra responds that this is an example of normal variation and literary artistry throughout Tanakh. Often, even within one verse, the text might play with words, using the same root for different understandings. These questions nonetheless lead some more modern scholars to a different understanding of the phrase Mimacharat HaShabbat and why the Torah chooses to refer to the 16th of Nisan in this manner specifically. Rav David Tvi Hoffman brings an opinion which suggests that the phrase refers to an event, the future cessation of the mana, which we know from Sefer Yehoshua took place on the 15th of Nisan in the year of the nation's arrival in Israel. This suggestion works with a simple understanding of the root Shabbat, which throughout Tanakh means to stop. It also explains why no set date was given for the offering or for Shavuot. At the time of the giving of the command, the exact entry date into the land and the related cessation of the manna was still unknown. So the, so the Torah could only tell the nation of the future event, not its date. In addition, as Hashem wanted the people to associate the Omer with the manna cessation, he needed to mention the event itself. Simply giving a calendric, a calendric date would have obscured the connection. This, of course, raises the obvious question. What is the connection between the cessation of the manna and the Omer offering? Why associate the two at all? Dr. Itamar Kislev, in an article in Migadim 16, suggests that the entire ritual of the Omer offering might come at least in part to commemorate both the miracle of the manna and its cessation, as this marked the transition from supernatural providence to natural living. Throughout the 40 years in the wilderness, the manna served as a constant reminder of Hashem's providence. Its absence on Shabbat and the provision of a double portion the day before reinforced on a weekly basis the nation's dependence on God. Upon entry into the land and the transition to natural providence with the cessation of the manna, the likelihood grew that the nation would forget its reliance on Hashem. And so, at the moment of the first harvest, when man is most likely to attribute his success to himself, the Torah commands to bring the Omer offering and remember the lessons of the manna. To summarize, we have pitted the sectarian and rabbinic understandings of our verses one against each other, seeing how each is influenced by both exegetical concerns and specific assumptions about other issues, such as the desecration of Shabbat, the workings of the calendar, and the nature of Shavuot as either solely an agricultural holiday or also as Chag Matan Torah. For more on this topic and other topics related to Parashat and more, please visit alatorah.org.